This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Avoiding the Crowd podcast. I'm your producer on the show, Robert Kraft, uh, on behalf of SNN Network. And after a brief little hiatus, we're back, baby. We're we're getting after it every week. You know, we're gonna we're bringing you uh, the highest quality content that we possibly can here at uh, Avoiding the Crowd. Maybe every week, every other week. You know, whenever we got a good show, it's gonna come out. That's what that's uh, that's what you can expect here. And uh, joining us, as always, your host Maj Sway Don. Maj, what's going on, man? How you doing? Well, good to see you again. We took a little bit of a break there. I think you took a vacation. Was- By vacation, literally, he means like it was a sun. It was like I drove up to Cambria for like, like literally, I think it was 30 hours. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and I think my wife and I just ended up talking business the entire time. So yeah. there's, there, there's no, there's no rest. There's well, at, least no you, at least you can do that with your wife. That's good that you can do that with your wife. So. This is true. It was actually our first weekend away uh, from our uh, from our ten and a half month old, so it was uh, it was nice. Wow. It was good. I forgot my surf stuff. I, I'm a little boned about that, but you know, it's all good. We spend quality time. But hey, Mosh, why don't you introduce our guest? Let's bring him in on this conversation. I'm sure he had some awesome trips in the last three weeks, right? What you know, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, so we have here Rich. Uh, is it Richard or Rich? How? What do you like to be called there? Um, Rich is fine. Either is fine, but yeah, usually Rich. Great, great. Well, I mean, um, so I, you know, I came came across Rich through Geo Investing. I saw he was a subscriber, and I saw I saw the um, his email there. It had a spinoff in it, and I was like, "Wow, this is spinoffs. That's pretty." I mean, I mean, they look more into this this guy here, and um, <laughs> found out he had a website, and like, wow, this is awesome. And you know, I've always been attracted to spinoffs. I haven't really done a lot of work in spinoffs, but that this would be a great opportunity to to uh, talk to somebody who does that and understand um, how that works a little more and I figured that could be really good for some um, value investors out there that like um, maybe might, might find us interesting. So I reached out to uh, Richard and I'm glad he said yes to do this, uh, to do this podcast and hopefully we'll learn a lot um, from your experience and in the space. And I mean, I be honest, I haven't played a lot. I mean, I've kind of always been attracted to it, but I never did a lot of work in the spinoff uh, area. And I'm, I'm, I actually want to learn a little bit about this too. And um so, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the returns, talk about some war stories, talk about what's worked for you, maybe um, end it with maybe a 90, a pitch. Maybe you can give a pitch on one of your better um, ideas you're looking at right now and just have some fun. So why don't you, why don't you tell us about yourself and um, how you, you're, you're, you're basically investing journey, how you got to you know, the whole spinoff kind of, um, you know, um, strategy and why you launched a website um, to, to, to promote that strategy. Yeah, sounds good. Well, first of all, Bobby, Maj, thanks for having me on. Um, I've listened, to, I've heard Bobby's voice many times from listening to your podcast, Bobby. So I feel like I know you, even though it's the first time we've officially met. And Maj, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, just I'm, I'm active in the microcap space. So obviously you're well known. And um, and I've, I've been a very happy subscriber to uh 
to to Geo. So um, it's good to good to be here. But yeah, so I'm um, you know one of those guys who's kind of always liked investing. My parents were both in the industry. My dad was a large cap value manager, um, so I loved like kind of talking stocks with him. I was you know in the investment clubs and in high school and college and whatnot. And uh, I started started my career. So I always always loved investing. Was kind of drawn to value investing, um, kind of low price to earnings, low price to cash flow, low price to book. Um, that was kind of my initial, initial draw. I started my career at Eaton Vance as an equity research associate. I'm actually wearing an Eaton Vance uh, golf shirt here, um, have limited clean clothes right now. So I'm, I'm low on the barrel, but, um, it had a great experience there, worked there for about, um, seven years, got, you know, did the CFA program, which is good, good training. Um, got a chance to work with some nice senior, good senior analysts and PMs covered a bunch of different sectors. So that was a nice way to get, um, started in the investment world. I, uh, the one problem with, with, you know, large cap mutual companies is you're just looking at companies that aren't very interesting. So it's companies that, you know, they're interesting. They're definitely interesting, but it's really hard to have an edge. And, you know, you, our game is you have to be right on the big stocks. And so like the tech analyst, like he had to be right on Apple and he was, you know, more often than not, but it was, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the part of that, that I didn't really love was that, you know, you manage a, a huge portfolio, it was large cap stocks. There were a lot of really smart people looking at the same, same ideas. And so it just, it's really hard to consistently outperform uh, the benchmark. And, you know, that's why you've seen, you know, a lot of um, flows come out of actively managed funds towards ETFs and, and, and index funds. Um, I, um, I, I read, you know, like every, like everybody, I, re I read Greenblatt's, you can be a stock market genius that kind of opened my eyes to spinoffs and other special situations. It just seemed, you know, super interesting. So I was always kind of doing research on historical per performance of, of spinoffs and other special situations and started dipping my toe in, in spinoff investing. And I ended up leaving uh, Eaton Vance to work at um, a large um, bank, Citigroup, city doing private equity research. So that was more manager diligence, which was interesting. Got to meet a lot of really smart people, um, but it was it was more kind of an allocator role as opposed to doing the investments yourself. I was always very active um, in, in my PA, and um, I always had the entrepreneurial bug, and I thought. You know, eventually I would I would manage a fund or, or do something like that. But um, after reading Tim Ferriss's "You Can Be a Stock Market Genius," I kind of it opened my eyes to kind of the info product world, and I thought, why don't I start an anonymous blog about spinoffs and special situations? Um, it'll improve my investment process, and you know, maybe I can turn it into something one day. So. I, I published that for a couple of years and then, you know, built up a little bit of a following and then decided to basically just, just dive into the deep end, um, you know, quit my job, um, give up the, the cushy job and, uh, and, and take it, take a chance being an entrepreneur, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it's just been super fun, uh, basically writing about, I mean, for my job, I get to write about you know, really interesting <laughs> niche opportunities. So like the opposite of, of what some people are doing at, at huge investment firms. So it's, it's super interesting and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. And some of the analysis you used to do um, in your prior um, work kind of sets you up good for to have an advantage in, in analyzing spinoffs, you think? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I learned, you know, the basics, right? I learned, you know, basic valuation, you know, basic financial modeling, um, basic industry analysis. I covered healthcare for a while. So like, I know a lot of people are, 
are kind of scared of healthcare and I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's an area that I'm, I'm completely comfortable investing in. Um, yeah, it definitely, definitely set me up, you know, set me up well. Um, it's funny though, like whenever I was at my old job, it was like the upside case was, was like 15%. It was like a 15% upside for a large cap stock. And it's like, how, how do you even know? Like how, how can you have such a precise valuation target that like, like, it, it just, it seems to me like it's a rounding error. And so, you know, obviously in the micro cap space, it's, it, it, you know, what I'm attracted to is asymmetric opportunities where, you know, you have maybe some downside, but you can kind of try to limit it or at least um, quantify the downside. But you have, if you're right, you have a chance to, you know, make 100, 200% plus. Um, and, you know, with the, with the mega cap stocks, um, you know, it's not, it's not impossible, right? You can do it with Amazon and, and Apple, but it's, I, I'd say it's, it's, it's definitely a little bit harder. I, absolutely. And, you know, in some, the way, the, the, the amount of volatility we have in the markets these days, and you almost, even 15% is not enough really to justify being involved in the market. You can have those big pullbacks and drawdowns. So, you know, I think that you, you need, you need to aim higher uh, to maybe account for that. But, you know, so let's talk about there for a second. Why don't you talk about what a spinoff is? You know, yeah, there might be some uh, some investors who have not really had any kind of exposure to that, and then we'll talk about some of the returns that have occurred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, a spinoff is basically when a public company breaks up into two or more uh, public companies. So, um, let's think of a good example. Um, uh, there's a company that the spinoff just happened. It's it's a company. It's not too well known, but it's a company um, called Synex, and Synex had two different divisions. Uh, one was a, a IT distribution company, so that that's the remaining parent company. But they also had a business process outsourcing company called Concentrix, which was a division. So these two these two companies were uh, all within the umbrella of Synex. And what Synex management decided to do was they said, hey, um, business process outsourcing companies trade at higher valuations than, than, uh, um, than IT uh, distribution companies. You know, IT distribution companies trade at eight or nine times EBITDA. Generally, business process outsourcing companies trade at, you know, 14, 15 uh, times, times EBITDA. So we're getting punished for having this business processing outsourcing company um, buried within this conglomerate structure. And so the idea is, you know, if you were a shareholder on, you know, earlier this week and you owned a hundred shares of Synex, you know, today, Friday, uh, you would own a hundred shares of Synex, but you'd also own a hundred shares of Concentric. So, you know, you own the same amount of shares, but uh, you you own the same economic interest in in the company, um, but it's just through two different companies. And the reason why companies do spinoffs is because Wall Street prefers simplicity. It's just a lot easier to analyze um, something when it's you know a pure play in one industry. And so you know a good example is actually Cyanex. The uh, I don't know what the valuation kind of arbitrage has been this week, but uh, the stock I'd say is up about from where it was trading last week to where it is trading today. You know, I think it's up about five or 10% just on the realization of that, of that spinoff. You wouldn't think that the market would, would ignore that. And, and you would think that the market would price that in, but it's funny. The market just waits for that, that catalyst to happen before the prices, uh, before the stocks are re-rated. And then the other question I get a lot is why, why do people do spinoffs and the the answer is just um, really there's a bunch of corporate platitudes which companies write in their press releases about you know 
pure play focus and a way to incentivize employees. But, but at the end of the day, it's a valuation arbitrage game. If you're conglomerate, you're probably going to be trading at some sort of conglomerate discount. And by simplifying the structure, it, it makes it easier for investors and Wall Street to value the company. And so the, the idea is that you'll get kind of a valuation expansion after that spinoff happens. So, and the idea is you get a valuation expansion maybe in both businesses to some degree? Yeah, exactly. It can be in both instances. In the case of Synex, so to just keep with the Synex example, Synex traded pre-spinoff at about nine times EBITDA, and that's the standard valuation for an, an IT distribution company. But um, right now, uh, the spinoff, Concentrix, is trading at 10 times EBITDA. Um, so it's it's experienced a little bit of valuation expansion, but um, you know if it continues to expand more in line with peers, then it could it could appreciate by like fifty percent or so. Excellent. And also another thing, I guess too, is when you're looking at spinoffs, um, that you just have free up resources to do what the company does best, right? So you know um, sometimes you have these companies, I guess, where the spinoff company might not be a focus of the of the parent company. Totally. Um, and it's just not, it's not getting, you know, there could be a lot more growth to be tapped there, maybe. Um, so a, a, a great example of that is um, is Contour Brands, which was a spinoff from VF, VF Corp. So VF Corp owns Timberland, North Face, Vans, a bunch of high growth, really high quality assets. They also own the jeans brands, the denim brands, Wrangler and uh, Wrangler and Lee, which were kind of, you know, solid brands, solid sales, but not nothing like too sexy, nothing high growth. And so basically what VF Corp did is they spun off um, this new company, which they, they named Contour Brands, which basically their two main brands were uh, 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 Wrangler and Lee. And um, just in hearing the management team of, of Contour Brands talk about uh, talk about the um, the opportunity, it's, it's, it's exactly what you were talking about, Maj. Uh, basically, the Wrangler and Lee brands were just viewed as the cash cow within VF Corp. Um, to give you a specific, specific example, um, basically, Lee is a leading uh, denim brand in China. Um, and you would think that it would be just easy, low-hanging fruit to launch Wrangler. It's within the same company. You already have the relationship set up in China. But Wrangler, until just now, has doesn't have any distribution in China. So basically, no-brainer decisions like that don't happen because, and you can't blame the management. They're, they're focusing on Vans and North Face, these, these assets that are growing incredibly. They're like, why am I going to put dollars behind um, this Wrangler brand? It's just a cash cow for me to really milk um, so that I can um, you know, grow my other brands a little bit better. But yeah, that's a really good point. Um, when, you, when you have, um, well, actually, what's, I wonder, there's, who was, the Match.com have a spinoff too. I remember that. I think mean, you yes. talked about that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was really interesting too, because basically IAC, which is a spinoff machine, like they spun off a bunch of great companies. They um they own their key assets, if you look back six months, were they owned 80% of match and they also own 80 or about 85% of Angie, um, Angie Home Services. And so um if you looked at and at if you looked at IAC, you know it's run by Barry Diller, or he's the chairman. You know, one of the best capital allocators of all time. You know, he'd be in the Outsiders if if there was a, a second edition of of the Outsiders. Um, but basically, that company was trading at a negative en enterprise value. So 
And, and that's a company that owns Vimeo, um, DotDash, has valuable real estate and had billions of dollars of cash on its balance sheet. But if you backed out IEC's ownership stake in Match and in Angie, it was actually the market was valuing that business at a, at a negative enterprise value, which obviously doesn't make sense. And interestingly, um, that opportunity, like what we talked about earlier, where the, uh, the, um, the, the valuation discrepancy, you know, stays evaluation discrepancy up until the actual spinoff happens like literally up until the 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 week before this transaction happened you could buy iac and um and basically at a negative implied um enterprise value so it's 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 pretty crazy you know not all situations work out we'll get into my worst story situations that haven't worked out but um but if you follow if you follow them you can often find kind of indiscriminate kind of interesting situations what one opportunity that you could do which which you know i did was um you you basically i you bought iac and then you sold out you hedged out your match exposure to basically kind of lock in that um basically what you could do is you could artificially buy iac at a price of like 37 bucks and today it's trading at like 100 140 dollars by buying iac and then shorting out the exposure that you were going to receive to match. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, there's definitely a, a, a lot to follow. You have some return data was, that will help understand what you're talking about too and the, and the, the advantage we have here. Now, what's interesting here is that in, in a way, this is, a, this is an edge you can have. So if you can invest in these, you're not investing in big cap companies all the time, but you're getting these spinoffs, you're getting kind of big cap type of you know, remnants, right? So a lot of these companies are larger cap companies. And maybe it's a way to get some type of extra return if you can understand how they evaluate spinoffs. Um, and that's and then the reason, I guess, um, well, before the reason that exists. So some of the returns I think you, you talked about here, I'm looking at your website, which, which what's your website again, the, the actual address? Um, so so it's stockspinoffinvesting.com. Okay, great. And I've been there and I'm looked at it. I love the website, what you've done with the site so far. And the, I, I got to join, by the way, that's the next thing I'm doing. Oh, nice. <laughs> so um, I, I did, the, as I was doing the research on spinoffs, I was realizing, wow, there's some really interesting returns here, um, potential. And I know, uh, so I, was, I came across the, the Deloitte study that said, you know, since January 2000 to 2018, uh, the worldwide asset class of spinoffs has generated over 10 times the average returns of the, of the MSCI World Index during the past 12 months, uh, 12 months independent of parent. So I thought that was interesting. And here's another interesting stat. The study also found that when a parent company takes longer than six months to prepare, uh, the, the average, an average 50% greater return is produced after one year for the spinoff. I guess more due diligence, more time taken care of it. And then you have something on your website where I think you have here, maybe there's a, some like maybe three of uh, 3.5% incremental returns versus um, um, US spinoffs have outperformed the market. So there's obviously an edge there to be to, to be had, and I know that. Um, uh, I guess too, this this I found interesting too was that um, when you have these spinoffs in these larger kind of companies, you have a lot of institutional investment in those, and they might not be able to invest in these spinoffs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's I mean that's my favorite situation. It's like 
it's it's like my favorite thing. It's bad. It's sad, but like my favorite thing is when a big spinoff, a big corporate company. So to go back to the VF Corp example, so you know I did my work ahead of time on the spinoff um, Contour Brands. Looked like an interesting business, some solid brands, Wrangler and Lee, and you know they said that they were going to pay a dividend. So you knew what their dividend was going to be before the spinoff took place. And um, the beautiful thing was VF Corp had like a 35 billion market cap and uh, Contour Brands had at spinoff about a 2 billion market cap. So large cap managers, especially large cap growth managers, they're prevented from owning many of the spinoffs if there's a big discrepancy between the parent and the spinoff. So I knew there was going to be indiscriminate selling pressure. And it's just the funnest thing in the world to kind of have a view. So at the time, I thought the stock was worth 40. And you just watch the stock drop like a rock and you know why it's, it's, you know, why it's selling it, you know, why it's going down. It's going down because index funds, you know, uh, contour, contour brands was not going to be in the S and P 500. So index funds that got shares of contour brands were forced to sell. And so effectively, you know, you, we, you were able to basically take advantage of, of, you know, buy that liquidity in the market. And also knowing that contour brands was going to pay a $2 and 24 cent dividend. So at, at the, at the low point, the stock got down to like yielding like a 9% dividend yield based on the expected dividend and the highest consumer apparel dividend yields in the market was like three or 4%. So it just, it just didn't make sense. Um, Those situations don't happen all the time, but it's, it's fun when it's actually a high quality spinoff. And then there's a discrepancy between the parent and the spinoff so that you see uh, indiscriminate selling. So are you usually waiting? um, You know, when there's a spinoff, are you usually have a window of time where you're waiting for the stock maybe to fall before you go in there and buy? Are you buying right away and then averaging down? Yeah. So I got to refresh my data, but the, the, my latest now, or the last time I looked at it, um, if you have a spinoff that you think is going to be indiscriminately sold, so it's, it's smaller than the parent company, it usually pays to wait at least six trading days and, or, or until 40% of shares are, are, outstanding have traded. So by, by that amount of time, usually the, the selling pressure is, is reaching. Maybe it hasn't bottomed, but it's reaching. It's getting close to the bottom. And at that point, that's kind of the optimal time to buy. You know, it's, it's hard to tell on a situation by situation basis, but that's, that's kind of, um, you know, what I'm looking for. But sometimes, I mean, um, I recommended buying IAC and shorting the match exposure, but you could have, and these people did better than I did. You could have just bought IAC before the spinoff and um, because you knew that IC would rate and match is a pretty good company. So there's a lot of different ways to, to play it. But, um, you know, if it's a relatively small spinoff, I'll usually wait till after that transaction takes place to, uh, to establish a position. Do you see, um, I'm assuming the majority of spinoffs occur in these larger companies because they've obviously maybe made acquisitions over time, they become big. But do you see it in the micro cap and nano cap space? Do you see some of that stuff going on? Yeah, so so um, micro cap spinoffs are my are my favorite. So historically, they've generated really good returns. Actually, one of my recommendations and uh, disclosure, I'm I'm long this name, uh, Liberated Syndication. So that yeah. was that was a spinoff. It was basically a spinoff of like a fraud company. So Fab Universal basically dissolved, and the remaining business was this podcasting business, and they wanted to. Uh, remove the taint from the fraud, understandably, even though it was the same management team. And so they um, spun off the company instead of being named Fab Universal, they called uh, Liberated Syndication, which is a, a podcast hosting company. 
And at the time when I first stumbled upon that, um, it was trading at like, you know, growing revenue 20% a year, trading at like two times earnings. So it was either a fraud or it was, um, or it was going to be a home run. And, you know, it, uh, liberated syndication was a real company. Like you could read the reviews of people that actually use the service to host their podcast. And so, um, and so, you know, I had a pretty good sense that, 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 that was not a fraud, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's an example of a micro cap that was, that was really good. One other example, and I know we're going to get into kind of some stock picks. One thing that we didn't talk about was a company, um, called BBX capital and disclosure. I'm long on this, this one as well. The ticker is BBXIA. But essentially, it is a spinoff of um, basically it's a, it's, it was a holding company, and the biggest holding in the holding company was um, a, a basically a public another publicly traded company called Blue Green Vacations, which is a, a timeshare company, and it traded at a massive discount to its you know its fair value. And so, what the management team decided to do was basically separate the Blue Green um, Vacation holding company holding from the rest of the assets to highlight how big of a discount the rest of the um this the the rest of the company was trading at and so you know that's that's a name that i own that i think is attractive book value for that company is is 15 is about 15 dollars in the stock trades at at four dollars as of today four dollars and fifty cents and uh book value is actually valid because uh most of their assets are cash, a note receivable, and real estate. So it's actually it's actually a decent proxy. Obviously, there's hair on it. The management team is has had issues with self dealing, and there's a good um, article on on Value Investors Club that kind of talks about you know the downside scenario and, and the hair. But um, but that's another example of a company that you know even though there's there's some hair there. You know, I don't think it makes sense for it to trade at a seventy-five percent discount to its, or you know, sixty or seventy percent discount to its, to its reasonable fair value, especially because management owns a decent amount of the stock. Um, but yeah, to your point, there's that. I there's a lot of crappy spinoffs in the microcap world. Like there's you know cannabis spinoffs and fintech spinoffs and and you know COVID vaccine spinoffs of companies that don't generate any revenue. And so you know, I get a bunch of Google alerts with you know, whenever a spinoff's, you know, coming out or, or somebody announces that they're going to do a spinoff. Um, and you gotta, you gotta sort through a lot of, a lot of crap for lack of a better word, but, um, but occasionally there's some gems in there. It's funny. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, Flipson cause you know, yeah, we do. And I think you hit a new high today. Yeah. Funny story. Uh, well, not funny, but, uh, the, the fraud you're talking about was we Geo Investing exposed that fraud. You did. King's dad is awesome. <laughs> and I was going to talk about this today with you. I'm glad you brought it up. I was, and I, uh, I, I naturally it came up. It's nice. I was like, he's going to mention this, isn't he? <laughs> it's stole my That's thunder. awesome. But uh, that's awesome. But did you buy it in the pennies when it was trading in like in the you know ten five cent area or no? No. So it would have been smart to buy it. So before the spinoff, it was trading at like. Yeah, like five or ten cents, and then the spinoff, which was a one-to-one spinoff, so it was basically uh, the value was basically moved from the parent company to the spinoff. I think it opened at like twenty cents, and then it shot up to forty, and then it went up as high as seventy, and then it came down. And I, I initially got in around forty cents, um, or I think forty-four cents. I sold at a dollar fifty after their acquisition, but I, got, I got back in. Um, the story, you know, the story changed. Um, you know, management team's gone, right? And Activist isn't, isn't controlled now. Um, if this, if this stock were on the NASDAQ, it would be trading at 10 times revenue. Right. So, um, you know, just like a, a podcast host, pure play hosting company with all the consolidation in the space. So, you know, I think, I think good things are going to, are going to happen to it. 
And that was tough because I remember we, since we you know knew everything about the company and we weren't too hot on the management team, even when that we just weren't sure to believe anything about the company, right? Yeah, totally. Part was that China fraud part of the company. And they had this little, you know, podcast asset there. And my brother, you know, was trying to get me to buy it. And I just wouldn't do it because yeah. you know, he works for me also at Geo too. <laughs> and uh, he's watching it go up. And then finally, when I guess we went over one, he's like, you know, he wrote an article about it for us. <laughs> so, and Bobby, I'll make that um, article public too, just to, to remind me to do that. Um, but yeah, now I think today hit a new high at 450. There's some insider buying that came in. A lot of insider buying this morning. I don't know if you saw that. I did actually, you flagged the email. So I had missed that. Um, cause I usually cover everything that's happened, but I got your, your geo email right before I went live with my call that I do weekly. And it said insider buying at Lipson. And then I, I checked and yeah, Camac bought more and then the CFO bought more. So, um, yeah, they yeah. actually got, they, they had this activist come in and they removed the management team, which was, which was awesome, which had to happen. Right. Because, and that, that happened, did that happen last year sometime? Was it the end of last year? Uh, what happened was, um, I think Camac uh, bought its first position in, I want to say, December of last year. Mm-hmm. And then I might have my timing off, but, um, and, and then they, they filed a 13D. But the problem was that management had granted themselves, as you know, restricted stock, like crazy amounts of restricted stock. And that stock would vest over time. But in the meantime, uh, in terms of shareholder votes, the management team could vote those shares, even though they had the shares hadn't invested yet. So it looked like it looked very, I, in my opinion, I was shocked that um, the, the, the activists won that campaign. Um, I think the SEC um, litigation against the CFO um, helped because the CFO basically was barred from, from being a, a CFO of a publicly traded company. So I think that kind of weakened the management team's hand. But, um, but yeah, I think it was, it was a home, it's a home run that the activist actually, actually won that. I mean, I think the initial settlement was, um, was, um, was that the activists would get a board, get two board seats, um, get two board seats and, and they could continue to buy up to 20% of the company. But then like over time, it's just, uh, I think the, the standstill was like a year. So the standstill was going to expire this fall. And before that expired, the CEO basically, um, was kind of paid off. Like they bought back his stock, but, um, they bought it at $3, which, um, was a good use of cash in my opinion, cause they were able to reduce shares outstanding by about 9%. So, um, yeah, it really, it's been a it's been a fun story to to follow for sure. I remember when um, Hindenburg, uh, did you see when they put that short piece? Or he well, he tweeted it out. I think a little bit. Yeah, I bought some. I bought a lot of stock that day when he did that because you know, they were just using character assassination to yeah, knock the stock down, and um, that was a good entry point. Um, but yeah, man, so that's that's awesome. I, I I still I'm really excited about the company, and um, I might actually, you know, it's not a really big position right now for me, but I might add to it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like I don't know. I don't see, you know, I I don't see it. I don't think it's going to be a ten x, but it's kind of one of those companies that they're going to grow every year. Um, they could uplist to the Nasdaq. It could just get acquired by Spotify, and at some point it could get value, valued at some sort of silly valuation and some sort of takeout. But it's you know it generates so much cash, right? And you have an activist in charge now, so capital allocation is going to be is going to be good now. Um, I mean, if they they could just use their cash to to buy back stock, right? And the it'd be accretive, and uh, yeah, I, I I agree. It's 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 kind of like a steady a steady eddy. Yeah, and I, I was I was hoping that the revenue growth would be a little stronger, and it hasn't been that strong recently. But maybe, um, but I think I think the end game is to sell the company. I would think. 
So, yeah, exactly. So I was disappointed totally with revenue and I think their, uh, their podcast position has definitely weakened. So when I initially invested, it was like, they were, they were the name, they were, they were the podcast hosting to go with, but there's a, a podcast hosting company called anchor who was acquired by Spotify, which is kind of a fast grower kind of disruptor in the industry. Um, and, and I think, um, I think Lipson, even on their last call, they kind of admitted that they haven't, you know, their, their design of their site is a little bit behind the eight ball. And, uh, they're also working on rolling out some advertising technology, which allow podcasters to insert ads. You know, I don't think the stock price right now is giving them credit for that, but if they can execute on that, that could be huge. Um, but I, yeah, it's kind of, um, I do, I will say that I, I, um, I've, I've talked with Laurie Sims, who's the president. I talked with her before I talked to, um, the former CEO Spencer, and I was really impressed with her. She's kind of hard to get on the phone, but, um, she's been at the company for like 10 years. Um, she's kind of a no nonsense person. Um, so yeah, I, I think hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll kind of improve the execution going forward. I think you're on mute still much. Yeah, you're right. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> since you, you talked about interviewing management, interviewing president of the company, but what's, what's go into your, um, your process a little bit, your investment process. Maybe you can talk about um, your process. And look, I mean, do you, as part of that, do you mainly primarily invest in spin-offs or do you have other investment strategies also? So basically yeah. talk about your strategies, talk about how you find your stocks and what your process like that is. Do you interview companies and what, what are you looking at filings, all the good stuff? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, my side is, is kind of focused on spinoff. So I, what I do is every, every spinoff that's coming up, I try to do a deep dive on the spinoff to get a sense for, you know, whether I think it's kind of an investable company and, um, at what valuation I think, I think it would be interesting. Um, so I'm looking at kind of competitive position, um, competitors, historical revenue growth, you know, historical, you know, margin expansion or, um, or, or, you know, margin, uh, margins going down. Um, I'm looking at, you know, management incentives, you know, who, who owns shares of the company? Um, you know, what percentage of shares are reserved for executive compensation? Um, I'm looking at, you know, the shareholder list. Is it, is it a, is it a big public company spinning off a small company? You know, if it's an attractive asset, that could be an, that could be a really good, a really good setup. Um, so, and then I'm, I'm looking at valuation too. So I'm trying to um, value it, you know, ideally, you know, you can do a, a DCF, um, look at their comps in the market for it. And you can, you have precedent transactions. So you know what people are buying in the market, but oftentimes you don't have you, you can't do you can't do all that. So I kind of um, you know do the best I can in terms of valuation to get kind of a reasonable sense of of what's what's interesting um, in terms of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for companies with you know asymmetric upside potential. So you know I want a company that can um, you know can potentially you know not, not this doesn't happen all the time, but a company that can go up you know five x or, or ten x um, or if it's a a mid cap company, a company that can go up you know, a hundred percent. Right. And, um, and even, and I'm very active in, in, uh, micro caps. I, I look at and invest in my, a lot of micro caps and, um, with micro caps, Maj, as you know, like they can drop, you know, 50% or more. Um, there's like no anchor, like, like if a stock's not paying a dividend yield or something, it's like, it's amazing how low some of them can go. So if it's a micro cap, I really want to make sure that there's, there's some really nice upside potential with mid caps and large caps. You know, I, I can invest with slightly 
slightly less upside potential, but I'm really looking for kind of those asymmetric opportunities um, where, you know, even if it's a micro cap and there's 50% downside, you know, the thing could literally go up by, by five X. And then in terms of how I found my ideas. So I basically have a bunch of Google alerts that um, I flag things like, you know, spinoff, stock spinoff, uh, when issue trading, regular way trading, um, distribution, special dividend. These are all words that are kind of associated with with spinoffs. And I try to just kind of look into everyone. And if it's like a, you know, uh, a marijuana dispensary spinning off, you know, uh, a coronavirus vaccine, then I'll be like, all right, I won't, I won't dig into that one too deeply, but I try to look into all of them because, you know, a lot of times the micro cap situations, um, you know, can be, can be super interesting. And then in terms of finding ideas, I like to invest in like other special situations. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't have to be, um, a spinoff, but I've had good luck. Um, it's funny. You just follow what you're following and it kind of leads you to other opportunities. I'll give you one example. There's a, uh, a spinoff called Aptivo Pharmaceuticals. It was a spinoff of, I think it was e- EBS Solutions, like a, a vaccine company. But the the, the basic thesis was that um, this was uh, a company that had um, a bunch of cash on its balance sheet, a bunch of uh, drugs that were approved and growing, and it had a pipeline that could be worth something. And so um, I invested when the stock was trading at a negative enterprise value and the stock went down, went further down, went further down. I was eventually you know, able to get out and, and, and make a profit, but I continued to follow the situation um, because by my estimate, there's a lot of value there. They had drugs that were really uh, valuable that they could sell and that I thought they eventually would sell. And eventually they did sell um, one of their drugs called, um, called Xenity, which is a hemophilia drug. And they sold it to a Canadian company, which I'd never heard of called Medexis Pharma. And so I dug into, uh, first of all, they sold it for a price that I thought was super cheap. And I was really disappointed with Aptivo. And I think I actually owned it. I think I owned it at the time. And I sold it after that because I was really disappointed in in the sale price. And I was like, whoever bought this got an amazing deal. So you kind of go down that rabbit hole. And it led me to kind of dig into Medexis Pharma. Um, Disclosure, I'm I'm long that name. And um, the cool thing there was that this was a company, especially pharma company, that was unprofitable. But by buying this drug, this $30 million drug growing 40% a year, it transformed into a really profitable company because all those fixed costs were leveraged. And they didn't buy a company. They just bought this drug. And the drug was already manufactured by an outsourced manufacturer. So there was no integration risk. Um, and so that's just an example. It's kind of like serendipity. Like you're just, you're following a company. You said, wow, they sold for a really cheap price. Who did they sell to? And then you you dig into it and you talk to management and and it looks like an interesting situation. So um, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of different ways to to find good ideas. Would you would you really classify yourself as a special situation investor? I mean, are you really honing in on that kind of area? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it, that's just fun. Like it's just it's just fun to be like, oh, there's some arbitrage that the market's not not seeing. Um, you know, you can get into you can get into problems that way too. But I I like to do that. But if I find you know like some of the companies that you're that that you're recommending um, on Geo, like doesn't have to be a spinoff. Like if it's a really interesting fast growing company, um, you know, I'll definitely definitely invest in it. So I'd say my my first focus is is special situations. But you know, um, the cool thing about microcaps too is that um, you can buy these basically growth companies at value prices, um, which you just can't like a value stock. That's a large cap trading like 
17 times earnings, which just seems like a joke when you see, you know, companies trading at like seven times earnings in the micro gap space that are growing revenue, like, uh, you know, 30% a year. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it just, it's, it's even more so now these days. Uh, so actually, do you see a natural progression of maybe turning activist one day, especially in the nano cap market space, because there's actually a lot of these little smaller companies that should probably spin off a company or should divest of assets. Um, and do you see an opportunity for yourself one day doing that, you know, looking at a company, wow, they have these apps, they should be selling them and trying to convince management or going on the board maybe to do that. Yeah, I would honestly, I hadn't even, I hadn't even considered that. Um, but it's a great idea. Yeah. And, um, like who knows where, where it'll take me, but yeah, I could see that that definitely be like a natural progression, like basically going upstream. Right. So I'm, I'm flagging for like spinoffs that have already been announced, but you know, why not try to screen for companies that basically should be doing spinoffs or trading at a, have basically disparate divisions that don't have any natural overlap and then go in because, because you'll be able to unlock more value that way. No, I would, I'd love to eventually get involved with, uh, with something like that. And give us a sense now of your, um, your portfolio. I mean, are you holding a lot of stocks, concentration, diversification um, with spinoffs? Is there usually, you know, a certain amount of time you're going to hold a spinoff um, and, and then divest a bit? Um, yep. Yeah. So I, um, so my, it's funny, I've always had a pretty concentrated portfolio. Like I'm, I'm fine owning like five names. Um, but I've recently just found a lot of, a lot of ideas that I think are, are pretty compelling, like, especially in the microcap space. So I own, I probably own 10 or 15 names, um, across, across my portfolio. Um, in terms of, in terms of time horizon, like for instance, Medexis Pharma, which is probably my biggest holding. That one, um, you know, I think I think it could really triple from here. Like it, it trades at one times revenue and eight times free cash flow, and it's growing, you know, revenue sixty percent a year, you know, twenty five percent organically. So like, if it were to trade at at three, and there's a little debt on there, so if if it were to trade at an EV to revenue. Uh, multiple of, of three, which is kind of the standard for a, a slow growing specialty pharma company, it would be more than a triple from here just because it has, it has debt. So that one, it's kind of like, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold that one kind of as long as, it, you know, as long as the story's intact and, and this it's, you know, I still see kind of a lot of upside. Um, a company like BBX Capital, which is the company that's trading at a big discount to fair value. You know, I think fair value you know, book value is 15 bucks, stock trades at 450. Um, if the stock went to like six bucks or seven bucks, I would probably sell um, just because there is some hair there, you know, management is paying, are paying themselves a lot. Um, so if that one bounced up, if there's like a bullish article on Seeking Alpha and like you got some liquidity, like I, I'd be fine moving out of that one. But like the core, you know, my favorite type of holding is one that, you know, like a Medexis where, where it looks like there's significant upside. Um, you know, over, over the long term, and I'd, I'd love to hold them, uh, you know, for, for a long time. I was listening to, um, to some of your podcasts, Maj, and you were talking about how, like you, in your early investing, you wanted to be right, like right away. And, um, I find myself wanting, I find myself wanting to be like, to have the stock moving in the right direction, um, you know, right away. But sometimes, sometimes you just, you just gotta be, you gotta be patient and kind of wait for it all to play out. So long as you've uh, you've hauled a stock for, do you have that uh, top of your head? That's that. Uh, which which one? What's the longest you've held a stock for? Um, let's see. Um, 
Uh, it's not that impressive. It's probably like two or three years. That's that, that's, that's yeah. really long term these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. If you're the average holding period now is less than six months, that's good. You're, you're yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would think in spinoffs though, there is that there's probably a penalty at some point for holding too long. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if, if, um, you know, if, for instance, if uh, like Sinex uh, spun out Concentrix, you know, I own that one too. If that were to kind of, it's trading at 10 times EBITDA, if it were to expand to 13 or 14 times EBITDA tomorrow, like I might, I might sell that one, right? Um, but if it kind of slowly grinds up over time, um, you know, they announce a good acquisition, you know, it might be, it, it might be one that I can hold for a little bit longer. It, it does, it definitely depends on kind of the time horizon, like with the IAC match situation, like that was like a three month period where you could, you know, buy IAC and short out the exposure to match. And, um, and, and then, and then a lot of people still love IAC. I think it's a great company, um, but it's just not an, it's not as obvious to me as it was like just prior to the spinoff of match, you know, how compelling it is. So do you, um, do you see, um, this is what I want to ask really the parent versus spinoff. So a lot of these stats that are out there talk about buying a spinoff and these return stats um, is the opportunity as far as you see the bigger in the parent or the spinoff um, yeah. or, or was it less apparent in the parent? Um, and does it usually take more research to figure that yeah. out? Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, you know, we can talk about war stories, but there's, you know, I've learned the hard way that it's, you don't want to invest in a spinoff that's in a secularly declining industry, even if it's really cheap. Like it's just, I don't know, it's, and maybe it's just because value has been, you know, having such a headwind recently, but like I've, you know, that has not worked out for me. So I'm hesitant to, to invest in a spin. I, I did yeah. that by the way. You did. <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, like for instance, um, I think we're going to talk about Aaron's a little bit later, but like Aaron's, the spinoff recently, it's um, Aaron's is, is a retailer that specializes in lease to lease to owning, and I think they own like own and franchise like thirteen hundred stores around the country. They have, um, they're you know it, it's it's a tough business. Like it, the retail business right now is tough. They're trying to grow retail. They're trying to grow e-commerce and it's growing really fast, but it's still only 10 or 15% of sales. And so the stock's trading at 3.7 times EBITDA. It's trading at like eight times free cash flow. And the one, the one benefit is they don't have debt. So that's a huge, that's a huge plus. Um, but like, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong and, and, you know, Aaron's will be a, will be a great spinoff, but I'm just not tempted. I'm not tempted anymore to invest in, in the companies that are, that are in secular decline. I, or the spinoffs. Um, so it's kind of like, like in the case of, of Aaron's spinoff, the remaining company, uh, which I full disclosure also own, um, progressive holdings. That is, I think that's a really interesting business. Um, they have the technology that allows uh, stores to offer, um, lease to own payment options. So they partner with, Best Buy, Lowe's, uh, Mattress Firm, and a bunch of other retailers that um, you know target kind of lower FICO score folks that maybe don't have credit cards and don't want to pay for everything upfront. And so they offer they have the technology which allows them to do lease to own um, payment options. And that's the parent company. I think that one is is way more attractive. So I think it's kind of on a case by case a case by case basis. Um, the spinoffs are more fun because you get the component of the indiscriminate selling. So if like, if it's a good business that's being indiscriminately sold, like there's, there's more upside potential, but, um, you also could have situations like the Aaron spinoff where we're getting rid of the, the kind of dead weight business really freeze the, uh, freeze the market to really 
value the remaining company um, at a more appropriate uh, valuation. But you know, I think the statistics. I, I haven't looked at them recently, but I think the parent companies, you know, tend to do quite well as well. You know, it's it varies on a year to year basis, but usually, you know, more focus uh, leads to higher shareholder returns. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's probably just better for both companies in the end. Uh, so, do you see some of these spun off companies, or maybe even the parent? I mean, you know, tend to get acquired at all over time. I'm, 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 I would think maybe the spinoff might be uh, interesting. Yeah, definitely. So or the spinoffs, I think the statistics are, and it's, it's probably on my site somewhere, but it's it's something like, you know, 40% of spinoffs get acquired within five years. Don't write that down. I'm, I could be making that up, but it's, there, there are, there are a decent amount of spinoffs that get acquired. The one thing to be aware of is spinoffs that are tax-free. So basically the reason why companies do spinoffs is because if they were to sell the spinoff, they would have to pay a lot of taxes on that, on the sale proceeds. But if you just spin it off to shareholders, nobody's taxed as long as the spinoff isn't acquired for two years. So there's usually like a two-year moratorium for spinoffs to be acquired. But after that two-year window's up, you know, all bets are off. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so let's talk about um, maybe some of the, what you talk about, the war stories. And let's go, get yeah. Wow. You've already kind of alluded to if you're investing in a, di- in a dying industry, it's probably uh, not going to work. So maybe you can talk about some of the some of the bad of experience of course had, maybe mistakes you've made or even avoid yeah. it by by your good research so totally totally so um so one company a spinoff um that's actually bankrupt now that i you know i, I got out um at a mere 50 percent loss was um quorum health quorum healthcare so the basic thesis it was community health was the parent company a super levered um hospital company and the idea was that they were going to spin off their rural hospitals and the whole idea was that you know, I'm going off memory here, but pro forma for the guidance, the guidance that management was 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 giving was um, basically, you know, the, the stock was trading at like, you know, five or six times EBITDA and comps like rural hospital comps traded like eight times EBITDA. And the theory was that they were going to sell a bunch of their hospitals and use the proceeds to delever. So, so you know, pro forma for those expected transactions. Uh, it, it was. It looked even even cheaper, and so obviously, if you have a lot of debt, which the spinoff did, um, and you get multiple expansion, um, you know, you're going to make the returns to the equity holders are going to be are going to be huge. So that was kind of what lured me in. Um, a couple things, a couple lessons learned. Um, so so basically, what happened was the company came out. Um, EBITDA was like laughably below what their initial guidance had been. And even the stock was cut in half, but even adjusting, like cutting EBITDA in half, the stock still looked like kind of expensive. So at that point, I just kind of like threw in the towel, lesson learned, um, cut my losses. A couple of things that I learned from that. One, um, you know, be very careful um, investing in um, industries that are facing challenges. This, this, this company historically had um, faced a lot of uh, pressure. Hospitals are facing a lot of pressure, especially um, rural hospitals that don't have enough patients to really, um, you know, leverage their their fixed costs. And so that was that was one lesson learned. Just be wary there. Be wary of uh, spinoffs with high debt. Um, and in particular, this company had like a weighted average interest weight interest cost of like ten percent or something or ten and a half percent. And if you every time I've seen a spinoff that has like debt that high, debt that costs that much, it's just 
uh, it just shows you the vote of confidence that the debt holders have in the business with interest rates as low as they are like the, the, this company can't get can't get debt unless it's paying 10% interest so your cost of that cost of equity is is got to be massive if the cost of debt is that high so that's something that I didn't fully appreciate and then just going off of guidance from management so like I was like hey management guidance is is xyz you know here's the enterprise value it looks cheap but really kind of doing the work to say hey you know is this is this actually reasonable? Another thing was that um, the guidance had been had been shared by the parent company, so the parent company had really issued that guidance, um, but the new management team hadn't really signed off on the guidance. And if you read, if I I reread the transcript, and you could kind of read between the lines that um, the management team of the spinoff like didn't really fully buy into the into the guidance, and so that was another thing that you just got to do work, kind of independently verify the trends of the business. Um, so that was, that was, that was one, one more story, but I can, I can share another one. Hey, go right ahead. Yeah. You're great. Yeah. So another one is, um, is Kalex E. So this is, um, this is literally down. I still own it. So unfortunately it's down like 95% from when I bought it. I bought it shortly after the spinoff. So the thesis at the time of the spinoff, this is an energy services company. And obviously everything in the energy world has been crushed over the past two years. The thesis at the time um, was that the company was, um, first of all, it was run by um, a guy named Eamon Corey, who had founded BE Aerospace, like founded the company, eventually sold it. Then he, before he sold it, he spun off KLX Inc., which is an aerospace distributor. He'd sold that for 15 times, 15 times EBITDA. This was going to be the last asset that he spins off and, and you know, eventually sell, sells and, you know, sails off into the sunset. You know, so you have this quote unquote, great great manager. Um, I, the, the first thing that I think was a little, um, or I guess, I guess I have a full, I have a better appreciation for investing in cyclical industries. Like my approach right now, and I'm, I'm investing in some other energy companies right now, but my approach is like, maybe don't invest until there's blood in the water because, you know, higher prices and good industry conditions are just going to attract further competition, right? Um, high, you know, um, low oil prices, um, are the best thing for low, the best cure for low oil prices are low oil prices. And, you know, vice versa, that is also true. So just be careful about investing in commodity industries. Um, number, number two, um, again, they had no debt when they, when they um, initially, initially spun out. But they announced a really like cheap accretive acquisition, and but the debt, and they said we're going to raise debt, and this was when the energy markets had started to to melt down, so the timing was a little bit off. But they had to issue debt at like eleven percent, and the stock was still trading at like thirty three bucks pre split, so pre pre reverse split, so the stock could have, um, and and I it was almost like a cognitive bias where I was just like. I was ignoring this disconfirming evidence that this business model is not good if they have to issue debt 11%. I should have just, even though I had kind of just recommended it, I should have just like said, I'm wrong and, and moved on. And I didn't. So that's another, that's the same thing that I learned with Quorum Health. If a company is issuing 10% plus debt, you know, it's probably, it's probably not a very high quality business. Um, the other interesting, interesting lessons learned, I guess, is, is prior to the spinoff, Kalex Inc. tried to sell the business to a bunch of private equity companies, and they deemed that the the interest from private equity companies <clears throat> wasn't 
uh, wasn't in line with how much that the company was actually worth. And that's kind of a red flag because it's like private equity companies have a lot of cash. If they're not willing to pay up, um, you know, they probably know the business better than the management team who had a background in, and, uh, in, in aerospace. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the management team was great. They also didn't take any cash compensation. They took their, you know, I like to follow the incentives and they took their um, compensation and shares of the company. So like there was a lot of alignment, which I think sucked me into the story. Um, but that one, that one is painful. I mean, I'm not going to get my money back on that one. Um, still own it, but it's, um, I think it's kind of like, I think it's an asymmetric opportunity right now, but it could go bankrupt and it would probably, probably serve me right. Are you, are you buying more down here or just staying, whole, staying steady what you got? I'm staying steady with what I got. Um, I've, I've definitely dollar cost average down, which is usually, usually a bad, bad decision. Um, but it's, uh, from my perspective, the stock has like, last time I talked to the CFO, they had about five quarters of liquidity left. Um, they don't have any big maturities until I think 2026, but, um, or 2025, um, the stock could go bankrupt, but it's, you know, you could make a credible case that it could be a five X or 10 X from here. Um, it just has to get there, right. It has to, I think, I think they're going to get there, but, um, you know, I still, still own a decent amount. Um, another company that I own is, is, um, champion X, which is another energy spinoff in that company. The nice thing is it does have enough scale where it's, it's printing cash right now. So even in a horrible environment, it's still generating cash and you'll still get the upside if, if the industry conditions improve and you won't get like the five or 10 X upside, but you might get, you know, two or three times and there's no risk for bankruptcy. So, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a tough, uh, tough risk reward or it's, it's an attractive risk reward, but you got to be cognizant that, you know, it could, it could go to zero. Right. That's the worst feeling of when you, I know, because running a website myself with a subscription base, when you, you've, you've made it, you've made a choice to talk about a company, and all of a sudden, you realize, shoot, there, there's this little piece I should have. <laughs> now you got your oh. money because they, they make an announcement of, that they didn't disclose before, and now you got, you know, what do you do? <laughs> oh, it's the worst. That, it's the worst line. feeling. Oh, maybe, maybe it'll work out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's that you know, you're always wrestling with your biases, and and. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, this was one of the first stocks that I recommended too. Um, so it was just kind of like, yeah, it was a lot of the lessons learned from that one. Do you have a, do you, a, a model portfolio on your site where you have like a, a bunch of these things or a list of stocks you're showing that you're buying? Yeah, exactly. So I just have like an open buy list. So it's not a, it's not a portfolio, but it's just kind of an open buy list um, of, I think like seven or eight, seven or eight stocks now. Great, great. And so how active are you interviewing management teams? Are you doing a lot of that when you, before you buy these stocks? Um, yeah, I'd say as much as I can. So, um, you know, some micro cap companies like Liberated Syndication, like, you know, I was uh, pretty, I got, I got, I got in there. Like I was able, I actually went to the annual meeting um, one year. So I was able to actually like ask some questions and see the company. I was one of, you know, two people at the meeting. Um, and, uh, and to give you, to give you a sense, I walked in and the CEO, Chris Spencer said, Oh, I guess we actually have to do work today. Like, and I was like, dude, that's not, not a good joke. Like I'm your, I'm the shareholder. Like, um, but, uh, yeah. And so I, when I can, I mean, but it's with, with large cap companies, usually I'm relying on, on IR or even if it's a mid cap company. Um, but when I can, you know, if it's a small cap company, I try to, you know, talk to management or at least IR or at least the treasurer, um, to try to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, people have different opinions about, 
about, you know, talking to management from my perspective, it kind of, if I'm going to talk to management, it, it kind of forces me to prepare like more, more than I would if I, if I weren't having that call. So, you know, I like that. And it also can just provide context. You know, you can pr- kind of get a read for, for what's going on or, or see if there's kind of an obvious situation that, that you're missing. You're a full-time investor, right? And, and you have a family, right? I mean, you have yes. to move. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, um, so I basically gave up my cushy, you know, job at city to, to do this. So I basically, you know, my income is, is running my, running my website and then investing. Um, and then I also, um, I also, um, I, yeah, I also have a, I have a micro cap newsletter as well that I, that I started recently, but, um, but yeah, so it's been, I mean, it's been fun. It's been, um, in a lot of ways, um, I guess like so much more fulfilling, like, um, for the people that have worked at large bureaucratic institutions, they know what I'm talking about, but it's, you know, so you feel, you feel like you're like on an infinite never ending treadmill at times. And so it, it's fun to kind of take control of, of my life and kind of do what I do what I wanted to do. Obviously there are stresses, you know, I got two young kids, so got to, got to make sure I'm paying the bills, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ton of fun. I get to do, and I get to do stuff like this. So, um, so it's, 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 it's been great so far. That's awesome, man. Thanks, Rich. Uh, so let's let's get into a. I mean, you mentioned kind of earlier the stock you might be pitching, but maybe we just do it again. So yeah, in 90 seconds or less. Tell us one of your favorite pitches you like in the um, spinoff world here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a company I mentioned, and disclosure, I do own this one. So this was this is the it goes back to the Aaron spinoff, and this is this is a recent stock that I like a lot. So the the thesis here is that the business that was spun off is called Aaron's. And so Aaron's is uh, the retail stores that, um, that is, you know, basically in secular decline, but what it left behind was a business called Prague Holdings. Um, but really what it's known for is in the tickers PRG, but what it's known for are, um, is progressive leasing. And so this is the lease to own technology that this company has. So. Aaron's basically saved itself when it bought progressive leasing in uh, 2014. Um, Since 2014, the business has grown 4x. So just tremendous growth over the past uh, two years or four years, it's grown revenue at like a 22% CAGR, EBITDA like a 24% CAGR. Margins have stayed relatively flat, um, but they're really not optimizing uh, for, 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 um, for rev, for, um, for earnings at this point, they're just, they're, they're growing a lot. Um, but basically, the way that they're used is they work with uh, stores like Best Buy and Lowe's so that if you wanted to buy something from Best Buy or Lowe's, you could basically use Progressive to, to kind of uh, rent it, uh, but make pay- payments that will work towards you actually owning owning that stock or owning that uh, TV you know, after a period of time. You can return it. So if you wanted to um, just literally rent the TV for for six months because you're living in a new city for six months, you could return um, return the the return of the TV and be and be done with those payments. Um, but it's kind of an interesting world that I didn't know much about. Um, but it's it's experienced um, tremendous growth. Um, their penetration at their at their partners that they work with is like like one percent or two percent. And so the thesis really is that if they can. Um, continue to grow their penetration within the existing merchants that they work for. Never mind, you know, getting into additional stores. Um, they will, you know, be able to, you know, grow grow revenue by like a, a multiple, um, by many multiples. And um, and then from a valuation perspective, the stock's only trading like ten times EBITDA. 
so it's so it's super cheap. It's about 15 times earnings. So for a company that's growing like you know 20% sustainably um, from the top line, it looks it looks really really uh, really pretty interesting. So I I like that one a lot. Well, there was um was this company before the spinoff? Was there an activist fight going on here, or was it my think with a different company? Um, I'm not aware of the activist fight, but there might, there might, might have been. been. Yeah, there might, might have been a different company in this. Oh no, no, you know, Maj, you're right. There were there definitely was. Um, and the activist was arguing that the progressive acquisition was just a tremendous waste of shareholder value. And and um and you know, ironically, that's the thing that has saved the company because you know, progressive is is basically is the company right now. But yeah, you're right. Um, there was an activist. I'm blanking on the name. Um, but yeah. yeah. Well, so the symbol of the spinoff is what. Which is A A A N A N, and then the the parent companies um... uh, P uh, P R G. Okay, and was it always P R G? Would that would that? Um, so it's funny. It the the parent company's ticker was A A N, okay. and it was called Aaron's, and then they spun off Aaron's, and the spinoff the the ticker switched to the spinoff, and then the new company is named Prague Holdings, and it's so it's a new ticker. So it's it's weird. It's like the company spun off Prague Holdings, but um, but right. the other interesting thing about Prague Holdings is it's a good acquisition candidate. It has no debt, um, and because it's the parent, there's no two year tax um waiting period. So you know, Progressive Holdings could be acquired as well. Are you familiar with FPay? Yes, That's yes, kind of that same area, right? Totally. Do you yeah. Any, do, you, do you have any opinion? And that's not that's not my specialty in that whole area in that, that, that business. So I'm wondering if you Yeah. So it's really interesting because looking at the comps, it's hard to find the comps. So the comps are like rent a center, but rent a center is kind of like Aaron's pre-split. And then there's F pay, which is kind of like a small little niche, you know, company that sells stuff on their website, lease to own. Uh, you know, similar to what Progressive does, but it's a lot smaller. Um, the interesting thing about uh, FlexPay is that there's been a ton of insider buying recently, right? And it, and it looks like they're just about to leverage their fixed costs. It, um, just on, I haven't done a ton of work on it, but looking at next year's earnings estimates, it look if they're right, it looks like the company's trading like five times earnings. Um, I think, and they're fairly um, cons- uh, well, it would be conservative in, um, in terms of their um, the allowance they make for. Um, uncollectible or, or, or what, what, what would be the word you would use in this industry? Um, uh, loss, credit losses, loss, I think. Yeah, credit losses, yeah. losses. Yeah. Pretty high, I believe. I mean, and yeah, too high. And I'm, I mean, that'd be, that's where the little info arb is. If that, if that, if the loss history isn't confirming that, it'd be pretty interesting, right? So, and losses and losses have been a lot lower recently, at least at Progressive, because of, um, People have like you got their stimulus checks and kind of closed out their their accounts or, or paid down their balances. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, all yeah, um, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's been kind. That's kind of on my watch list. I I stumbled upon it just because I was doing work on on Progressive. I don't own it. I almost bought it a few years ago, and then it's like this tank. But I didn't, I didn't do it. But I think there were some uh, some balance sheet issues. I think they had some a lot of preferred preferred stock. I think they cleaned it all up. So I'm thinking about, you know, now that you talk about this, I'm going to go back and take a look at it again. Maybe we can yeah. talk a little bit and exchange. Definitely. Be awesome. I would love to. Yeah. And then the other thing to mention just with this, this space is um, there's also like, I don't know if you've seen in the news, like a company or there's Afterpay, which is a, an Australian startup that is basically trades at like 50 times revenue. And it offers, you can go on websites and basically it's called buy now, pay later. So instead of like lease, lease to own, you basically, instead of paying, you know, 25 bucks for a t-shirt, you pay $5 for five months. And, um, 
it opens up like millennials, millennials, I guess don't like, or some millennials. I mean, I think I'm technically a millennial, but whatever the next generation is, doesn't like to use credit cards. And so they're, um, and so they, it's really appealing to them. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Progressive is kind of like that. It's kind of different, but, um, those companies are just trading at extraordinary revenue multiples, never mind earnings multiples. And then Affirm, which is a startup founded by a former PayPal executive, is going public. Um, you know, and rumor is like between five and uh, five times and ten times revenue. I'm sure that'll that'll trade up in this market. But um, yeah, it's weird because for Progressive, there's really not that many good comps. It's it's kind of hard to, to to handicap. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation just based on the growth that they've had and, you know, the growth that it looks like they're going to have going forward. Well, I want to ask you one question. I, I didn't, wasn't going to, but then, you know, you said you're like a special situation person and um, do SPACs kind of fall into your little, what's been going on with the whole SPAC special acquisition corpse? Does that fall into your kind of wheelhouse of what you're looking at? So it's, um, I haven't, I haven't really looked at SPACs, but I've gotten a lot of questions from my subscribers about SPACs. And so I, I probably should, I've kind of written them off. Cause like, as you know, they're, they've just been disasters. Like the long-term performance of SPACs has just been disasters, but there is the opportunity, especially right now where you can buy them before they've, you know, despacked or whatever. And yeah. you, can, you can play yeah, that. Well, they're a capital structure up, right? Which they all, exactly. they all <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, um, I probably should be looking at them. I haven't, but, um, there's probably an opportunity in terms of, you know, buying the pre the SPAC before they buy a company. Um, you know, you have limited downside, you have the $10 per share of cash or whatever they have. And, uh, um, but yeah, that's, I, I haven't, have you, have you messed around with the SPACs at all? A little bit. I mean, I, I mean, my SPAC experience is, is not, they're just reverse mergers. Right. And so it was a period exactly. where we were doing a lot of that China fraud investigations and, you know, a lot of those were SPACs. And, yeah. and, you know, in my experience with SPACs and the long-term reports were not really good at all. But where I, where I have had success is playing the warrants. Yep. So trying, if you can at least um, figure out that these SPACs are going to consummate a merger, you know, these warrants will go up. And now it's happening everywhere, right? Because the IPO market yeah. is not where people, they're going public anymore. They're looking at alternative ways yeah. going public. So a lot of these companies are using SPACs. Um, and I think a lot of them right now are doing it because they can't go public because they're dying businesses. <laughs> a lot yeah. of yeah. COVID times and everything. But the war thing has been a pretty good play for us. Um, we don't talk a lot about a lot on, a lot on geo. We do it on the side because it's, it's a very speculative thing. Um, um, we did a, we did we had one successful spec we did uh, on the war and play that that uh, Beyond Meat play or whatever it is now yep. on the, the, the comp Tattoo Chef, which is we sold away too early. But we can, we didn't love the company, so there's a lot of this Warren R we're playing right now. So you might want to think. I mean, it's pretty interesting, and in, you know, to find the ones that are really being priced where, where the warrant there's there's a situation where the warrants are so mispriced. If there is a this acquisition deal, that's usually because maybe um, there's some some players in the SPAC deal that maybe haven't had been successful in the past. Yeah, um, or there's some um, kind of hints that maybe the SPAC won't close, but they, a lot of them are closing anyway. So you can get these yeah. really undervalued SPACs, warrants. And when they announce these SPACs, you get like maybe a four or five X overnight. Uh, That's amazing. And um, I know the first, one of the first, ironically, um, back in 2000, you know, we launched you investing in 2007. And so we had, we went right into the recession, right? <laughs> so then China came out. Uh, China was the first kind of the company, um, um, to come out of it. I mean, they're putting stimulus, you know, into the economy right away after the, the global recession. 
everyone else is fighting about what to do, right? Every other nation. So these little reverse merger China stocks got 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 found, um, and there happened to be a lot of uh, some SPACs um, housing some of these reverse merger China opportunities. And there was one SPAC we were looking at, and it was this media company. Oh, they did these TV. What was it? I can't remember the name right now. Maybe China Media Express, some stupid mm-hmm. name, right? <laughs> so they would put these LCD TVs on, you know, on uh, on the buses and stuff like that, and then terminals, and they would earn allegedly earn some fees doing that. And they would sell, I guess, they would sell the equipment and earn the fees, advertising fees, I guess. And uh, so we were we we had bought the SPAC, thinking, okay, because we had no like really experience in this whole world. And one of our members said, you know, you're, if you're going to bet this, bet the warrants, because the warrants were trading like, I think, 15, 20 cents at a time. Okay. And there was the, and, but the news out of the, out of the SPAC was great. They were reporting numbers. Hey, we're, we're, we want to close a deal. The numbers are great. You know, SEC filings confirmed it, blah, blah, blah. This is before the whole space really imploded. And we ended up buying, buying the warrants. I think yeah. It was six, seven bucks. The deal closed. And and, uh, and our member at Geo was like, this is why it's going to close. He, he gave us like a bullet point of things why this is going to close, um, why it had to close based on some of the characters involved and who was going to vote which way. So that was an interesting. So that we first got into. It. Then we went, oh, this is awesome. Then we did the yeah. report failed <laughs> miserably. <laughs> so, but and I, had, and I hadn't revisited it since then. I didn't want to attempt luck. And then recently, now this whole there's a whole new level of spec spec kind of place and. I don't know how it's going to play out, but maybe the, maybe some good will come out of it. I don't know, but I've never seen it long term be successful yet that, that that often. So how does how do the warrants work? So like you, you, the, so um, what is like the execution price or how, like how do you make money on the warrants? Is it um, you have the right to buy more of the the new company at a certain price? Is that is that how the warrants work that are associated yeah. with the spacs? So the spac goes public. Well, it'll go, maybe as a unit or whatever. So you have you have a unit and you have these you have yep. warrants involved with it, I guess, and you have these um, the, um, what it, um, and then you know they use around ten dollars a share. They go public. There's a liquidation value, whatever. Uh, but so the, the warrants are priced. Um, they'll have some value to it, right? Because these warrants will be will be uh, maybe like five year warrants, for example. Got it. As long, you know, the, the deal has to, um, the SPAC has to usually consummate a deal within maybe, um, I mean, a couple of years, maybe 18 yep. months, whatever it is. Yep. And um, so if there's questions, so the warrants going to have some value just in case the deal closes, right? And the closer you get to this, the, uh, to a, the, the termination date of a SPAC where nothing is closing, some of these warrants are really trending downward, right? Right. So you, so they're going to have this, you know, it's basically a warrant. It's like, it's like, it's like an option, right? You have the time value, yeah. you, have, you get, yep. you get um, the volatility into it. Right. Um, and you can plug it into the model. I guess it gives you a price and you can figure out like which ones are being valued inappropriately. So, yeah, but basically, so when you, um, the, you, you, you own these warrants instead. Right. And then, yeah, you get, you have the op- opportunity to buy the stock once this, once this, um, the stock gets a certain price. So, if you have a ten dollars spec, maybe the maybe the strike price is twelve and a half, eleven and a half. Yep. Yep. You know, and then and then um, so you look at that, and a lot of these spacs, a lot of times, even during even before the deal was closed, are trading above. They start trading above this the, um, the price. The price. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. But there's just usually this little R because um, this is the tricky part about it is even when this spec closes. Um, you can't, there's a, usually a, a period of time. I think it's 45, 60 days 
where after the consummation of a business of, of, of a deal, the company has to register the warrants, right? Right. So there's this little lapse. There's this there's this arb where the warrants might not be valued what they should be at. And you have to wait. You have to wait to cash out until until the warrants are registered. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you can you can't you can sell the you can sell the warrants. Yeah. yeah. But you can't exercise them. So you can't got it. it. So you can't got keep it, it on, right? Yep. I mean, theoretically, you can short the stock and buy right. the warrants, and then you know lock that spread in if you want to hold that long. But the spread, the carry is the 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 cost to borrow is is through the roof if you're if you're short in the stock. Usually, I remember with Nikola, it was it was like 150 percent. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, so that's the thing, and you could get in at like, you know, where it's three percent, and all of a sudden it's it's going to spike up more. So that I just I, I like to keep it clean, trying yeah. to bet which of these warrants, yep, which of these are going to close a combination, you know, and then buying these warrants really cheap if I can. And then getting, yeah. I have one now where it's, and I'm not gonna mention the symbol because I haven't looked, I don't we believe in the company that much. Yeah. I believe in the trade. <laughs> they're gonna consummate a deal and it's pretty gonna up like from 20 cents to 80, 90 cents really, you know, pretty quickly. And it's still probably undervalued based on what's going on. Um, but yeah, so it's an interesting thing. But I just don't believe in the whole, there's still yeah. reverse mergers. Yep. Um, the cap, these warrants really can blow the capital structure up, you know. Yep. Uh, eventually, and uh, <laughs> but it's fun. It's interesting. I get it. I get a look at the warrants because it's um. Yeah, I, I've read a couple articles that are really interesting, but I just haven't. I've just kind of written the whole thing off, and and I, I get to spend some time on the warrants to kind of understand the opportunity there. Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish it didn't. They didn't exist because it's, it's yeah. basically spawning a whole bunch of really maybe frauds or horrible companies here, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, and people are going to get hurt in a long term. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Well, man, this is great, Rich. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, why don't you end it again with telling us where we can go find out about your, about your website, um, what you're doing again there, and how people can get in contact with you. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so I'm my website stockspinoffinvesting.com. So if you just uh, even Google stock spinoffs, it should be should should pop up. And uh, yeah, if you have any, if you want to. Um, you know, come to the site, check it out. I, I have a free spinoff calendar, which so you can track um, the spinoffs. I offer a bunch of free information on that calendar to um, to um, that you can use kind of without becoming an official member. Um, I also have a bunch of resources on my resource page, which I'm going to build out over time. And uh, yeah, say hi on Twitter. I'm on Twitter um, at stock spinoffs with two S's and uh, shoot me an email at rich at stock spinoff investing.com if you, if you want to talk stocks or, uh, or or just compare notes. Great, thanks. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask you: if you want to share it, you don't have to share it. Of course. Um, are, are, is there a particular SEC filing that we should follow to to to, to spot spinoffs? Yes, there is. So it's called an information statement. Um, it's 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 so it's the form ten is like the SEC filing, but then there's usually a link within the form ten that. Um, that uh that that is called the information statement and that's it's kind of like an s1 for a company that's going public like that's what spinoff companies uh share that's where you get your information um and the, the nice thing is that if you do like all the the stuff that's in the form 10 will not be in y charts will not even be in bloomberg will not be in Factset. so if you do some digging um you can you can you can find some very interesting opportunities. Even like you know, reading that Contour Brands is going to pay a dividend, you know, and knowing that once that's declared, that could be a floor for for the stock. So that yeah, that's the document uh, to look for. It's kind of hard to find sometimes, um, but shoot me an email if you can't find one, and I'll I'll um I'll, I'll I'll track it down for you if it's if it's been filed. 
you're doing that hard research for your members, right? You're, that's what you're doing. You're reading these things and trying to find this, these bits of information so, you, so we don't have to. Right? Yeah, that's so, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. trying to do. <laughs> All right, depend on you. <laughs> All right, thanks, Rich. Thanks a lot. Thanks Bobby. so much, Maj. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. That was great. I learned a lot. We got some sick clips in there. I think we're going to share a few of those on social media. So, Rich, thank you for doing this. Maj, you're the man as always. Uh, you can follow uh, all of this on Twitter, uh, both at Maj on Maj's handles, which is at Maj Geo Investing, or at the main Geo Investing handle, which is, I believe, it's just at Geo Investing. Uh, and also, you'll be able to see each new episode at geoinvesting.com, as well as at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Craft, B O B B Y K K R A F T. And that's it. There we go. Have a great weekend, Jet. Yeah. Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs> See guys, that G became a, with the end the G, it all up. Wonderful. Uh, the, no, the G, the G became it became a J instead of a guy. <laughs> Fair enough, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Thanks guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.